Let's, uh, let's begin our day. It is my pleasure to introduce to you a man whose mark leaves a sense of security, sensibility, and hope, perhaps because he's an ER physician and a professor. His sensitivity, foresight, generosity, and virtuoso both inspire and challenge. It is my honor to introduce the editor-in-chief of Blockchain in Healthcare Today and Telehealth and Medicine Today, CIO of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Dr. John Halamka. Thank you so much. Well, with that introduction, I'm humbled. Thank you. So I was asked, what are those technologies that are going to be transformative in healthcare? And I don't actually look at the next five years. I look at the next 18 months. I mean, five years from now, we're going to have Facebook implants and flying cars, right? So, so what are we going to see? And it isn't just blockchain. It isn't just telemedicine. So I live the dream, as Tori said, of running a very large and complex academic healthcare system, information technology infrastructure and application stack. So in that adventure every day, like I'm sure all of you, I'm asked to constantly innovate while keeping everything perfectly reliable and absolutely secure. Now, I don't know what you guys think about constant change, reliability, and security, but I say pick two, right? And so I look at what technologies are coming at me, and I look at my mission, and here are the five I think we should pay attention to. Okay. So deep learning. I know this is going to sound slightly like the Gartner hype curve, but really, it's not. What do I think deep learning is going to do for us, and what am I seeing at Beth Israel Deaconess in Harvard today? Well, I have 11 petabytes of patient-identified data. And I'm sure, again, since you are all professionals, you understand really what a petabyte is. But to illustrate it, Tori began speaking one kilosecond ago. One petasecond ago, there was a brontosaurus standing here. It's a big number. And so if I have 11 petabytes of patient-identified data going back to the 1970s, can't we learn something about the patients we've treated since the 1970s? Shouldn't the patients of the past help us care for the patients of the future? And there are just so many examples where traditional analytic methods aren't going to work. Because, you know, as Tori said, healthcare so multifactorial. I really don't quite understand what variable is going to be the most influential. So I need to look at a large scope, create a model, and then take new patients compare them to the experience of old patients, and forecast the future. And let me give you some quick examples. So you're thin, you're young, you're healthy, you have no comorbidities, but you need your appendix taken out. How much time in this uh, you know, fine city should an OR give you for an appendectomy? Well, the answer is if you go to New York Prez or Columbia, they'll say, one hour, one hour. Everybody gets one hour. Well, wait a minute. She's young, she's healthy, she's thin. She actually only needs 25 minutes. And how do I know that? Well, because I've looked at 2 million people just like her using machine learning models. So we actually did this at Beth Israel Deaconess. We freed up 30% of our OR schedule by just putting a machine learning model on the patients of the past to schedule patients for the future. Now imagine if your healthcare system organization you work with could free up 30% of any capacity 
I mean, think about the reduction in cost. And of course, it's appropriate because the patient's getting the right care in the right setting at the right expense at the right time. And by the way, what do we do with all that free time? We actually built an app that enables our, all of our physicians to schedule OR time from anywhere on their mobile devices. It's called Open Table. You know, I'd like an appendectomy, 7.30 tomorrow morning, near a window, table for two. Uh, and suddenly we've enhanced productivity, throughput, and satisfaction. So this idea of using all the data we've collected in the past with machine learning has holds promise. What about the Internet of Things? Now, this is a slightly confusing area. Now, is anybody wearing a Fitbit today? Fitbits? Yeah, Fitbits are fine. You know, nothing wrong with them. But okay, so suppose you go running. Running with your Fitbit. It's a hot day. You're sweating slightly. The Fitbit's sliding around on your arm. Have you looked at your heart rate monitor when that's happening? Your heart rate's 20. Now, I've just received your telemetry in my electronic health record. Do I call an ambulance? I don't know. Right? So, so I think our challenge, Internet of Things, good idea, absolutely wonderful use cases. But I'll tell you, in healthcare, we're not quite sure yet of the provenance of data. And so that is, if you have a Medtronic 510K approved implanted monitor and it says your heart rate's 20, I am calling an ambulance. Uh, but if it's a consumer grade device that's sliding around on your wrist with a sensor that has a lot of variability, maybe I shouldn't. In fact, so what's slightly confusing about our Internet of Things program is, should I put the data from your Internet of Things devices in the legal medical record or not? Should I ask a clinician to look at your 10,000 normal blood pressure measurements or not? And then, of course, what if they don't? And then we've missed a critical diagnosis. Then do we get sued? So I only mention this is really important. We're going to see care move to the home. We're going to see care move to the phone. But figuring out how to manage that data and when to act on it is still hard. Okay. My mother is 81, and I said, you know, in iOS 11.4, 12, you can download either your XML formatted CCDA document or use a Fire Argonaut specification to get all your healthcare data and be your own data steward. And she looked at me and said, huh? <laughs> all right, you know, why, why would I want that? And I said, well, how about this? What if in your home you had ambient listening devices with privacy controls, of course. And you said, gee, I don't remember. When do I take my medication next? When do I take the green one, the blue one, or the red one? How about that? Oh, that, that'd be great. So we've started to do a lot of work with ambient listening as another way of interfacing with our patients. Admittedly, Amazon, Google, Apple, they're not signing BAAs, right? So you're not gonna have HIPAA-protected transactions quite yet. So for one, we've done a lot of work that doesn't require the transmission of protected healthcare information, right? So if you're using Alexa and say, you know, Alexa, when's my next appointment? And it says Tuesday, <laughs> right? We're not sending PHI over any internet connection. You know, admittedly, we are in our databases associating an individual's device with their account, but that's, again, on our side, and we're a covered entity. So it's all, it's all working okay. I hear by the end of 2018, Amazon will put Alexa as part of their business associate agreement 
product offering. So, so then we can start asking healthcare-related questions that would transmit personally identified and protected healthcare information. So again, I think that's important to watch. And for any of you who are clinicians, you know, how much do you love your EHR? You know, how much do you love the administrative burden of data entry? Wouldn't it be wonderful if as we look to the near future, ambient listening devices can simply listen to the patient-doctor dialogue and enter some structured and unstructured data for us? So hopefully, a lot of startups working on that. That's coming. Another thing that we should just mention, beacons, $1, 10-year battery life, gloom to the wall, provide us geolocation services that are really convenient. An example of how we've used beacons is that if a doctor walks into the operating room, probably they shouldn't be answering texts. You know, it's a bit like driving, not a grand idea when you're scrubbed. So we can actually say, aha, we now know the clinician is in the OR, we will redirect text traffic or groupware communications to someone who's covering. You know, automatically dealing with patients and clinician workflow based on geolocation. It's a good thing. How about cloud and blockchain? So this is, of course, a conference where we're going to talk a lot about blockchain, good and bad. We'll have a debate that follows my remarks. Hopefully, we'll come to some good conclusions in that debate. But let me give you a use case where blockchain's helpful. So I'll ask a rhetorical question. So do you trust government? <laughs> <laughs> You're actually going to put all your healthcare data in the basement of the White House run by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Um, or, you know, do you trust Facebook? Yeah, they're managing your data. It's quite safe. Oh. So we recognize that in societies across the world, government and corporations are not always completely trusted. And in fact, they may be good today and be evil tomorrow, right? Hard to know. Midterm elections coming up, things could get better. I don't know. Um, but in South Africa, the Gates Foundation has asked us to deploy HIV tracking systems that help patients manage their HIV disease, look at their serial viral load data over time, and we ensure its data integrity using a blockchain layer. So that's not data on the chain, we're not talking about that, it's just ensuring your data has not been altered, deleted, or changed in any way by saying, here is a hash that's written to the chain and we can prove the integrity, it's not run by government or corporation, you can trust it. So in this case, the way it works is we're using biometrics, in this case, retin, retinal or iris scans or fingerprints to track data about you and using data integrity layers on top of that and delivering to patients on their flip phones, their feature phones, their medical records enough to coordinate their care. So again, I think that's good. Now we're also, of course, at this conference talking about telehealth and telecare. And increasingly, I believe, care will be delivered in the home and on the phone and not in traditional places like downtown hospitals with expensive parking and nasty traffic to get to. And here's just a quick example of the sort of things we're doing with our congestive heart failure patients. So at least you know, here we are on the East Coast where I'm sure a lot of you are in risk contracts, value-based purchasing, et cetera. We are now incented to give you higher quality care at lower cost. In fact, we're incented to not see you in the hospital or the emergency room. And so this app says, did you take your meds? 
oh, what is your weight today? What is your blood pressure today? What is your pulse ox today? And with this, we can make an intervention in your home, send a visiting nurse at much lower cost than waiting for you to become sick. So telemedicine, telecare are gonna be increasingly important. So there we go. Uh, these days I am not only the CIO, but running a lot of innovation activities at Beth Israel Deaconess and Harvard, and our job is to be open source, share our lessons learned, good and bad, and I look forward to my next 30 years where all of us are working together for the betterment of our patients. So thanks so much, and now on to our debate. Oh, yes, indeed, the announcements. Yes, go ahead. No, um, uh, John and I back out here again. Oh, hi, Brian. Well done. <laughs> just, this is called Just In Time. Um, we have one announcement John and I uh, would like to make in uh, tandem. And can we, can we have the slide up, if you would, please? Ah, yes. So 2019 will mark the expansion of blockchain in healthcare today and telehealth and medicine today into China with a local language edition of the journals in both simple Chinese and Cantonese. These editions will be distributed in hard copy, adding content created in China throughout the country and include academic provider, research institutions, hospital libraries, and government audiences. Um, do you wanna take the... Yeah, so, so I've uh, been to China 35 times, and uh, in doing so, met with government, academia, and industry leaders. In fact, Tori went with me on our last adventure, and we have 1.4 billion people and a healthcare system that is extraordinarily fractured, and data is just beginning to be collected and to flow. So it's a perfect time to introduce both these journals and these ideas to that audience. And together we've had numerous collaborators, Fudan University, traditional Chinese medicine university, all very eager to help us. So, ni hao. Ni hao, indeed, yes. So if you would like to be included in future issues, please do submit your uh, manuscripts to either BHTY or T. MT US editions, and um, then we will find ourselves in uh, in in China. Um, so thank you very very much, and uh, happy to share this news with you this morning. Thanks. Great. On to our debate. Tina. Yes.